Welcome back to another episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. If you don't remember, this is episode three, count them three. And there's been a lot going on this week. But first, I just want to say I'm Jerry Castillo. And joining me tonight is his acquaintance and fellow co-host, Mr. Daniel Wynn at, uh, with us. It's your boy, Riley Rail, a friend of Jerry and a co-host, Jarrell Sells. Hey, we got that friendship going, you know, the sports action going. But yeah, I mean, it's episode three. And the last few weeks, we've been talking about some pretty heavy things. And, you know, this week is going to be a little bit more of the same. But we do have a little bit more varied show. Let's put it that way. We're going to have more interesting things. We're going to have just a, a lighter episode. Let's put it that way. And speaking of which, let's start with something a little bit more depressing, just to get it out of the way. So last week, we talked about how basically every team in the in the four major sports said something about the George Floyd murder. Well, Axios did another count, and it turns out 118 teams out of the 123 have said something about the murder. Just to put it in, into context, the Knicks and the Rangers participated in Blackout Tuesday. The Redskins participated in Blackout Tuesday and retweeted some of the few players doing the same thing. The Yankees, excuse me, posted a Nelson Mandela quote, and the Bengals have posted nothing. And I just want to dive into this a little bit. Do you guys know anything about the Bengals at all? Is this out of the norm for them to do absolutely nothing in times like this? I mean, it doesn't really surprise me considering the Bengals are one of the more mediocre organizations in the National Football League. Mediocrity surrounds this team, and obviously it wouldn't surprise me if this organization didn't have the smartest people in the room. So, yeah, nothing nothing shocking here. And it's, you know, even though it is depressing, it's also not surprising. I mean, considering that's who the Bengals are, so... All right, G. I honestly haven't heard a lot about the Bengals, to be honest. They're just one of those teams in the NFL that are just one of those teams in the NFL. (laughs) The biggest biggest thing I know about the Bengals is freaking uh, Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson. And he hasn't been in the NFL in I don't know how long. So I'm not surprised. I'm indifferent on it. We're talking about an organization that's notoriously cheap. And, you know, they kind of wasted the career of Carson Palmer. So it's... They did. What can I really say? They're, they're just stupid. They're just one of those more stupider organizations out there. There's nothing we can do. Just to piggyback off of that, because you said stupid organizations, let's switch our focus to the Knicks. Because <laughs> as we know, the Knicks notoriously didn't do anything with regards to the George Floyd murder. Instead, the Knicks organization, specifically James Dolan, sent out an email to his, I guess, subordinates to which everyone was, for lack of a better term, they were pissed because everything was going down and James Dolan decided not to say anything, saying something along the lines of, it's not our place to speak about it because we are an entertainment group. I think it was today or a few days ago, the Knicks actually posted on Twitter saying, quote, Every one of us has a role to play in creating a more just and equal society where there is no racism, bigotry, violence, or hate. We stand with all who act for positive change, end quote. And I just looked on the replies of that and everyone was saying the same thing. They could have just said three words and everything would have been better, except they found a way to mess that up because they're the Knicks. 
100% agree with you. It's just like this, the response they gave was very PR-ish. And at the end of the day, when James Dolan came out of that statement, like the damage was already done. So like, what was the point? This felt like they were obviously trying to backtrack on things, but you know, the damage is there. Like you can't really fix the situation now. It's a similar case to the Drew Brees incident, you know? He said what he said, and then a day or two later goes by, and then he announces his apology. But it's like, that was your first initial thought on the situation. That was your first response on the situation. And usually, we lean towards that rather than the rebuttal that you have coming afterwards. So I agree with you. PR stunt, in in all honesty, nowadays, once you you throw something out out there, there's no going back from it. And and people are going to respond to it how they want to respond to it and you're not going to be you're not going to look good in everyone's eyes regardless of what you say. So it, it doesn't even have to be like what they just said right now. Regardless of what they said, people are going to have something to say about it and since they already said something negative the first time, this is just making it two times worse. I mean, this is the epitome of why the New York Knicks will not win a champ like who well, I don't know. Maybe they'll win one, but they're not going to really win anything in the next 20 years. As long as Dolan is there, the Knicks are not going anywhere. I mean, they could make all the changes they want, Who who's running basketball operations. As long as the cockroach is still on the top, like, nothing's going to happen here. Careful what you say, man. He might come after this pod and do some crazy lawyer stuff because he's been known to do that. It's James Dolan. He is infamously thin-skinned, so. I think as long as, like, we don't, we're not saying that, in front of his face inside of the great Madison square garden. I think I'm good. I'm just, I'm just laying out the facts here. He, he's probably the worst owner in the national basketball association. Currently. Yeah. But I can think of one other one that was pretty bad, but he's not there anymore. So Mr. Uh, Donald Sterling. Yeah. That, that show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because they messed up the first time. Right. And they had the prime opportunity to make things right. All they had to do, was do one simple tweet, put hashtag, and put those three words that they're afraid to say, Black Lives Matter. They That's still can't it. do it. They still can't do it. That is literally all they have to do, but yet they failed to do that. And so we were talking about, well, actually you brought it up, uh, Daniel, how the Knicks aren't going to win things. And so, Jarrell, I just want to get your take on this because we're talking about the Knicks, right? And they're... They're famously bad for reasons, well, a ton of reasons, actually. So do you think that this dissuades, I guess, free agents or potential coaching hires? Because the Knicks are basically standing on the wrong side of history. If everything goes the way it's going right now, they're standing on the wrong side of history. So do you think that would dissuade coaches free agents from going there? I believe the big time free agents, coaches that really have a choice and stake in the NBA, that can derail them from wanting to go to the Knicks because they ultimately can choose where they want to go. For the lower level players, they're going to jump on any opportunity they possibly can. But if I'm going to, if I'm applying to a job, let's say for instance, Walmart, but the manager that's trying to hire me is a complete asshole. You think I'm going to play? <laughs> you think I'm going to work there? No. So it's of the same course thing. not. We're not. If if I can't, if I don't feel protected, if I don't feel like this is a community, this is a team that has my back as far as my life. Like this goes beyond basketball. I wouldn't want to play for the Knicks. And if I'm trying to win, I wouldn't want to play for the Knicks. <laughs> 
I obviously agree with everything Jarrell said. You got to remember, I mean, yes, obviously this could play a role in like potentially like big free agents in the future. But you got to also remember, Jared Jarrell, free agents, the big ones especially, they weren't really going to go to New York anyway unless your name was Carmelo Anthony. I mean, exactly. I, and I mean, he went like, through the trade. It wasn't like, like he signed there. People like James Dolan and like what really attracts free agents, what is the ultimate X factor is ultimately who's running the show. And if, you know, bad owners will always dissuade the big free agents. You'll always get the smaller free agents because that's, you know, opportunities they must take. But with the big free agents, I mean, since they have a choice, they want to be in the position where they can win the most most games possible and, and you know, put themselves in championship can, contention. And usually that starts with the top. And the next with bad ownership, I mean, like you're less, you're way less likely to win a championship there. You guys both mentioned winning, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, I just want to get your your guys' reaction to this. Damian Lillard actually dropped a track today. I think it was called Blacklisted on on SoundCloud. Did you guys get a listen? No. Like I did what not. What happened? What happened? I want to know so, now. It's basically like a track talking about the George Floyd murders and just him speaking out about it and just him speaking out about everything that's going on. And I just want to get your guys' thoughts on this. One of the main prevailing quotes that you can get from the song was this. Quote, as a brother with a good heart, I say fuck you if you racist or white staying quiet, you disabling the changes. What do you guys think about that? I could definitely see where he's coming from. I think one of the reasons why racism and other types of discrimination prevails is because people like even though they don't quite agree with it they do nothing about it and thus you're kind of enabling that behavior to to keep on progressing and and that's why we're we are we are at where we are today at the end i have no issues with it this is his form this is his platform this is how he expresses himself and we've heard it from other lyricists other rappers such as kendrick lamar nipsey hustle that say that uh, African-Americans, they don't have a platform to express themselves at times. So what do they do? They, they go into different avenues that we might not see as just in a society, but then some express it other ways. Some express it in, in a form of sports. Some express it in a form of music. And this is his, his way of expressing that. This is his way of letting go that inner anger that he probably has seeing his brothers die in the street, seeing owners not take ownership and showcase that they care so i have no problem with it that's your way of expressing yourself we see it all throughout social media people send random weird tweets so i feel like this is the type of thing that we need it's getting straight to the point to let you know what's happening it's going to relate to other people that are more on a musical level to understanding what's going on somebody's going to hear the song and be like okay i vibe with that but let's make a change let's make a difference with it so i'm all for it like amen to that as well so i mean if damian Lillard wants to express his concerns with society that way then let him be just let him do it is there's nothing wrong with it you know what i'm saying it's not like he it's i don't think it's promoting just just reading this quote from his song i don't feel like it's promoting anything that's worse than what we're experiencing right now <laughs> it's just right. the, for lack of better terms i think that's a, an important thing to to distinguish is the fact that this isn't a cry to all the people say, hey, rise up against whatever, right? This is just saying what he's feeling and what he's noticing. And even though athletes are told, hey, just stick to your sport. Don't don't talk about politics. Don't talk about this thing, that thing. It's hard for people that are in power to see what's going on to their community and not say anything. And so I guess this is like the best way for him to 
to say what he's feeling and just express himself. Like when you know when people say like you know just play your sport, but you know they don't. Those people like Laura Ingram, they don't really realize that a lot of times sports and politics have collided multiple times throughout history. Just think about it. In 1995 in South Africa, um, Nelson Mandela was trying to heal like a broken nation. I mean the, the nation was barely getting out of apartheid at that point, and it, because of the World Cup final, the nation came together finally for the first time in many years. So, like, I mean, I just never understood it. Sports and politics have always intervened, along with entertainment. Absolutely. And I I find that interesting because these politicians, what do they do on their downtime? They hang out at home. They watch basketball games. They watch football games, hockey games. They go play golf. On their downtime, they're engaging with sports. They're talking about sports. Did you see what LeBron did? Who's going to win the championship? Like, this is this is their free time to talk about that. So why is it? like a double standard when it comes to an athlete that they can't talk about politics. It's just, it's, it's just like small talk. It's small talk. When I come to talk to you about just before we started this podcast, we were talking a little bit, we got into it a little bit about politics. Those are the conversations that we have. It's a part of our world. We're all intertwined, no matter how you look at it, we all have an opinion on things. So I just find that that's, that's a big double standard right there. And I don't like how she did that. There's a lot of things that people don't really like that she does, but you know, (laughs) That's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, something to go along those lines. And I know we, I said that we would talk about awards in a little bit, but I just want to get to this point. Then we'll head back to the NBA awards. But I don't know if you guys saw, but NFL staffers actually went behind Roger Goodell's back and reached out to the biggest African-American NFL stars just to talk about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I don't know if you guys read any of the pieces or any articles that talked about that specific thing, but it happened in the span of 72 hours. And I was reading somewhere that once Patrick Mahomes started talking about it, then everyone at the NFL head office, I think, started to figure out that, okay, we need to say something because arguably our biggest star is saying something, but the NFL is is keeping mum. So at that point, Goodell had to do something. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, good on the NFL staff. I mean, that's, you know, that's a good thing to hear that, you know, other people in your own league have the backing of your opportunity to be equal to others in society. But it also shows the flaws of the NFL and the other sports leagues. As I mentioned last week, I declared Adam Silver, you know, the best, arguably the best commissioner in sports. And this kind of shows why it kind of shows how out of touch the the other, other leagues can kind of be, especially the NFL. Yeah, it's good that the NFL some said something, but they had to literally be pushed to do something. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's 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 like if Patrick Mahomes didn't say anything, they probably wouldn't have said anything. I I think kudos to Patrick Mahomes for saying something. I'm not pretty I'm not too sure you could quote me on this, but I feel like I don't I'm not too sure if he was the first one to say something. I'm no, he was, sure. uh, he was one of the group of people that said something because he was just, I think, the biggest name to be attached to that. Because are we are we talking about the video that they posted where Michael Thomas was in it as well? Yeah. Okay. So I say kudos to those that put their face on it and got the video out there because it was it was needed. It it put it put the NFL in a position to have to say something about it. And I know it sucks that it's like we have to force you to acknowledge what the f- is going on and we have to force you to say something that's positive towards the 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 matter but at least it's happening and and that's like bare minimum that should have came along with it you are a league that 
is predominantly filled with African-Americans, regardless if it was an African-American thing, it's still something that's affecting people that are a part of the NFL, people that are watching the NFL. You needed to say something about that. At the end of the day, like the NFL should have said something like right when this incident happened. I mean, at the end of the day, like you can't change the past, uh, change the past. And I mean, at least they said something now, but they could have handled this a whole lot better. Yeah. And kudos to the to the staffers that actually went behind, you know, the NFL's back to do this, because one of the staffers actually got called up and he said, quote, I was ready to lose my job. Those are the type of things. Those are the type of actions that need to be made in order for something to change. And because of what he did, basically, the NFL was afraid to do. Now, you know, the NFL has a more united stance on the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And it's interesting because in anything that Roger Goodell has has said recently about it, no mention of Colin Kaepernick, none. So that's kind of an interesting thing, don't you think? Crazy how much like Kaepernick got basically got blackballed the second he's he stood up to the league. So, I mean, it's it's criminal that today he's still he's still not on an NFL roster. They're not going to acknowledge it because they're they're in the wrong. It take it's it's, it's going to be really tough. I know I I've read a lot of tweets today that says like the only way that they can ultimately come back from this is to give a apology to Colin Kaepernick. And you know how difficult it, it it is for people of high status to apologize, to admit that they've done something wrong. I mean, look at our country. <laughs> look at us what's going on right now. Motherfuckers yep. can't even apologize about racism. Like yep. like it's crazy. So they need to apologize. They need to acknowledge this. They need to feel uncomfortable. We need to continue to put the pressure on them. And it, it and I agree with Daniel. It's crazy to see and to think that Colin Kaepernick isn't on an NFL team right now. Some quarterbacks are out there doing the worst. Doing the worst. Well, in the exact opposite of doing the worst, let's talk about some NBA awards races because we've been trying to sneak this in there for like the past three weeks, but we just haven't had time. So, guys, it's time for some awards. And let's start with the MVP. Personally, I think... It's Giannis's to lose. And you guys are probably going to say LeBron James, which is fine, whatever. Man, but Jared, come on, it's man. It's Giannis's to lose. He's, got, he's led the best team in the NBA. He's top He's like top one in most categories. And I feel he's the best all-around player in the NBA, including defense. Jared, like, with all honesty, I think LeBron is the sole reason why the Lakers are where they are today. I mean, Anthony Davis helps a lot, but you gotta remember that roster is a lot of is full of misfits. And I think honestly, I think LeBron's pretty much the the big focal point of the team. If he's gone, that that whole operation collapses. Okay, so I guess I'm the middle guy. Uh, I'm can, a Lakers fan. I'm a, I'm you a Lakers can choose fan. Whoever you want, you can choose oh, whoever you want. I got I got who I'm choosing. I'm a Lakers fan, die hard. And I have transformed myself into a LeBron fan because initially I was not, and. As a Lakers fan, LeBron is my MVP. But as an NBA fan, and also I consider Giannis Antetokounmpo, probably botched his name, as my favorite player in the NBA outside of the Lakers. Yeah, I can see. I mean, like, he, he he's one of my favorite players to watch as well. I have to give the MVP to Giannis. Oh, come on. In all honesty, he's putting up numbers. He's putting up numbers that are comparable to Shaq in his prime. 
as well as the assists. He might not be averaging the amount of blocks of Shaq, but let's think about it. As the season ended, he averages close to almost just under 30 points a game, just under 14 rebounds a game, just under six assists a game, a block and a steal. Also, just to just to give you the amount of work he's doing, bro is only playing about 31 minutes a game. <laughs> bro is is very efficient during this time. And like Jerry said, he led his team to the best record. And I know I don't want to compare this the regular season Giannis to playoff Giannis, but this regular season Giannis has to be the MVP. Two times, two times MVP. I, I have to give it to him. And if you extrapolate those numbers to per 36. He's averaging almost 35 points, 16 rebounds, almost 7 assists, and more than a block and a steal per game, per 36. Those are incredible numbers. Incredible. Okay, Giannis is a great player, but I would say the MVP race is closer than y'all think. I think it's actually a pretty close race at the top. Back to my main point. Look at where LeBron was with this team like a year ago. Like LeBron wasn't, like the Lakers were an embarrassment. Like, LeBron has literally made this operation work. Again, without without LeBron on this team, like, this, I don't know where this team will be at. I think well, the Lakers would make the playoffs, but it would be like a 6-7-8 seed. LeBron is the sole reason why the Lakers are favored by, by a core group of fans to win the championship. And I think it's going to definitely show when we get to the finals because I think Lake, um, the Lakers are going to play the Bucks in the finals. But... LeBron's going to totally outclass Giannis because finals and experience, I think Lakers will win the five, but that's the sole reason I say LeBron's MVP. LeBron is literally willing a single team to the championship. That's why I think LeBron, I think LeBron deserves the MVP. Okay. Go ahead. You want to go first or should I? Go ahead. So in this situation, you said LeBron is the sole reason. Well, we saw last year that LeBron was the sole reason that the Lakers got what? 34, 35 wins, right? And you have it was to, an incomplete. It was kind of an incomplete squad. But you have to. You're completely discounting Anthony Davis's production. That is unfair to him. So you can't say LeBron is the sole person leading the Lakers to the the best record in the in the West when they got arguably a top five player. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to. Too. I'm not trying to discount AD, but LeBron is the oh. reason he's elevating AD and this whole squad to a championship form. But what we're saying, what he's saying is, you stated he was the sole reason, as if this yeah. was 2007 LeBron, as if he was on a team full of bums. This team is not constructed full of bums. I'm a Lakers fan, so in my opinion, I don't believe LeBron is the sole reason. He's a he's a big part of the reason. Okay, but he's not the sole reason. Changing his role, being I listen, I I agree with you. The MVP race is closer than what we're saying. LeBron James has to change his role. We've always said, they've always said that he is a, a playmaker first. And he showcased that this season. He takes the step back and has become the playmaker for this team. He has elevated the team as he always does. But to say that he is the sole reason where we have uh, the best power forward in the game, we have two reliable centers that do exactly what they need to uh, get done. We have two wings, three wing players that can defend and shoot the three. This team isn't the worst team that LeBron has been on. This is arguably probably one of the top teams as LeBron has been on. I'm not saying the number one, but top three, yeah. And just to just to piggyback off of that, right? And this is something that I just thought of in a moment. Can you name the other teammate that Giannis has that was an All Star? Yes, Chris Middleton. Yeah. How many times has he been part of an NBA All NBA team, or how many times has he been an All Star? Do you guys know? 
I believe this was his second year being an all-star, correct? Right. And when we refer to Anthony Davis, you know how many times he's been an all-star and how many times he's been an all-NBA? A combined 10. So it just seems like when you say LeBron is the sole reason, it's discounting heavily what Anthony Davis is doing, which is unfair to him. Okay, maybe I should have I should have worded better, but I think I think like AD without LeBron, I think without LeBron, AD can't really carry his team on his own. He could be a face of the franchise, but he wouldn't be as effective as LeBron. LeBron is the sole reason why like AD has done so well this season, and LeBron is the reason why the Lakers are elevated into championship contention. Without LeBron, the, the Lakers are are sixth, seventh, eighth seed. You're making it seem like Anthony Davis was like, no offense to Lamar Odom, but producing like Lamar Odom, and then all of a sudden, when he comes to the Lakers, he turns into Kevin Garnett. AD was AD when... <laughs> AD was doing AD before he came to the Lakers. AD was doing AD with the Pelicans. AD took the Pelicans to the playoffs two years in a row, uh, given Marcus Cousins was on the Pelicans one of those years, but got injured, but he still made it. Uh, he didn't have any success. I believe they took out the Trailblazers one season in the first round but other than that really didn't have success ad is a top player in the league he is not a bum he is not a scrub you are putting two great players on the same team and developing something great your argument you're saying that you take lebron off the lakers the lakers gonna suck if you take Giannis off of the bucks they're gonna tremendously suck (laughs) because the next person you're looking at is chris middleton and no offense to chris middleton but he is not a a second option to, to me I, f- I feel like Chris Middleton should be your third option. Giannis doesn't even have a superstar caliber player to be matched up with. They have literally constructed and built that whole team around Giannis. Giannis solely. LeBron James, on the other hand, he comes to the Lakers. I know they tried to uh, keep our little core that we had. Didn't work out. Tried to get a little veterans in, in there. Didn't work out. So, okay, we're going to get another superstar. And now we're going to build this team around two dynamic players. So I just I I don't think you can compare the two teams together. I'm not discrediting what LeBron does. If you take LeBron off the Lakers, they're in the West. I don't even know if they're going to make the eighth seed because the West is more competitive than the East. And I'm not trying to discredit Giannis by saying that. I know there was only about four teams in the East that had about a 40 win season so far compared to the West that had about seven. It's pretty evident that we both think that Giannis is going to win, and. For all that LeBron's done, he's a fantastic player still. Look, LeBron, LeBron, more than any other player in the league, makes his squad better just by being around. You got to think about that. Doesn't Giannis do the same? They do have the best record in the league for a reason. So, I'm not discrediting LeBron. LeBron is still, I consider, to be the best player in the league at 35 years old. I'm just but saying, the- for this regular season... Giannis is the MVP. I'm not going to compare playoff LeBron to regular season Giannis. That's unfair. <laughs> we talk yeah. about regular season and his impact collectively, stats, success, and what he brings to his team. I have to give it to Giannis. Unfortunately, I know that's bad. Unfortunately, I have to give it to Giannis. But that's just my pick. I, I, he's the, LeBron is the MVP of the Lakers to me. If they had a, a Western Conference MVP. In the Eastern Conference MVP, then we'll have LeBron and Giannis. Yeah, it's interesting because whenever we talk about LeBron and you know Giannis, we kind of have to put their coaches in there too. Because if you notice, without the coaches, they the teams wouldn't be anywhere. Admittedly, I think that you know two 
maybe call me crazy. I actually think he's pretty unappreciated as far as I think Budenholzer is a is a is quite frankly an excellent coach. Oh yeah, no, he's fantastic. Whatever team he has, he can mold it to whatever he feels like works the best. And we've seen that with the Hawks. We've seen it with the Bucks. And so, for I just want to get your guys' take because personally, I think it's Budenholzer, but. Because you guys are Laker fans, do you guys think it's... Uh... I'm willing to say that Budenholzer is a better coach. Uh, I mean, Vogel Vogel's, ha- Vogel's a decent coach as well. I just think Budenholzer has proved that, you know, back, especially in his first season in Atlanta, he took a team of nobodies and made it into a, into a solid playoff team. Vogel did it with Paul George and, you know... And, Roy and Hibbert. Roy Hibbert. And, but he did it. He had Paul George. Like, Mike Budenholzer in his first year in Atlanta had nobody. Uh, I mean, Al Horford, uh, Jeff, Jeff T, Paul Millsap. I mean, they're good players. They're good players. They're not. They're not superstars, though. Frank Vogel took a young. What was what was uh Paul George in his second third year? Wasn't yeah. anywhere near prime Paul George, and he took he I took mean, him as a leader. In the young playoffs. Paul George was quite like bordering on like bordering on stardom. Oh, okay, sure, but. Like, guys... I, he had good – Budenholzer had good players, but they they weren't like – I mean, they were known by NBA fans, but by the general public, they weren't so as much. Okay, so what I'm hearing is two votes for Budenholzer, Drill. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you guys with Budenholzer, to be honest. Yeah. Really? No, no votes for Frank Vogel. Interesting. I think – I think Frank Vogel is an upgrade from Luke Walton. <laughs> <laughs> he is. <laughs> Budenholzer – He's doing more. You got to think about what what he has to work with, you know, piggybacking off of last season and getting the best out of the players that he has. I forget the guy's name. Uh, what's his name? Pat Connington, like players like Pat that. Connington? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know these players yet. They're being they're They're effective during certain games for him. And that's what a coach does. It gets the best out of their players. And just to compare to Frank Vogel, I don't think Quinn Cook has had one single good game <laughs> maybe one but not two or three and I think Pat Connington has had more of an effect on his team and I'm just going to compare those two because I'm going to feel like they're like the second to third string point guards on the team yeah that's fair because when you come to think of it right like Budenholzer has this Spursian view I think that's where anyone from the Spurs system has a high chance of success rate because I think that style of ball it translates really well to this modern version of the NBA and I think Budenholzer is like the epitome of that Spurs style of ball. And that's why he succeeded. And he gets other guys on his squads to play together. Yeah, who knew moving the ball, moving as one, and sharing the offensive load and communicating with others, your teammates in particular, worked well. Who knew that? With basically us talking particularly about the Lakers and the Bucks, I'm assuming, because you guys are both Laker fans, that you guys have the Lakers taking the NBA championship this year. Yes. I, I think I think the Clippers all season long were focusing on this, you know, they're they're trying to rest their players. That's the whole point. They were focusing on the postseason. Now that since this COVID thing has happened, everyone's frankly rested. So that's kind of that that kind of eliminates that advantage. And also, I think chemistry is I think gets bigger and more important come playoff time when things are more pressured and you got to communicate more. And Kawhi and Paul George. I mean, they've, they've both had solid seasons, but they've been injured on and off. And while Le- LeBron and AD have developed this great chemistry, I think that's going to benefit in the playoffs. I think it's going to come down to a Western Conference final clash between the Lakers and the Clippers. I think the Lakers edge them out because of some of the advantages the Lakers have gotten, or the Clippers have 
refrain from that. I think it's Milwaukee and the LA in the finals. The uh, LeBron and this Laker team, they're a more veteran, savvy, experienced team. LeBron, um, Milwaukee is going to come in not really having much playoff or finals experience before. I think the Lakers shrouds the Bucks in five. Wow. Oh, that's a lot, man. Um, that is a lot. How do you uh, how do you top that? I don't know if I'm gonna top it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get my take on it. I agree in some aspects of what Daniel was saying. As a Lakers fan, I've seen a lot of inconsistency as far as like down the stretch or against tough opponents. Not to say that they haven't been the best Western Conference team. I feel as if they're gonna win the championship. I feel like they're gonna make it to the finals. I feel like that, like Daniel said, that playoff experience is going to come out and shine. And those specific players are going to be those pillar players. And I think those pillar players are going to be LeBron. It's going to be Rondo. Rondo is a different breed in the playoffs. I feel like he's going to elevate the team around him. Dwight Howard's going to be a different breed in the playoffs. And I think having that experience with multiple guys that do their specific role is going to edge out. I feel like the Lakers and Clippers will meet in the conference final and it'll be more of a finals than the finals appear- the finals itself. I don't know what game it'll go to. I hope that the Bucks play against the Lakers. I would want to see that, but ultimately I have the Lakers coming out on top. I think that they have the best well-rounded team filled with leadership and experience in the playoffs. We're going to, of course, need that X factor to um, come out in the playoffs consistently. I'm hoping it's Kuzma, but it's been Dwight Howard and uh, Avery Batley so far this season. I mean, if you listen to um, to me and Jared's previous podcast, I mean, I still kind of have, you know, yes, Jarrell, I kind of have negative, persistent thoughts about Dwight Howard over the years, but I'm going to I'm gonna wish him the best this time. I, I'm rooting for Dwight Howard. For me personally, just to, uh, just to get a little bit of a different opinion on this, I think the Bucks are going to make it a series, not five. I'd say maybe seven. Sorry for interrupting. Like, I think the experience and the inexperience is really going to show in the finals. I think the finals is like, talk about the playoffs heating up. I think finals puts it into like, like full gear. And I think the finals experience of Ron, you know, Rondo and playoff experience of AD is going to really expose the Bucks when they get there. I just think it's going to be close games. I know both teams have struggled with like a closer per se, but I feel like the Lakers have, a better chance of closing games compared to the Bucks because who are the Bucks going to lean on to? Giannis and Giannis hasn't shown to close games. So who's your second best bet? Chris Middleton. No offense to Chris Middleton, but I already said he's not a second option. So we're going to a third option to end games for us. Maybe they've seen it. I don't know if you guys remember uh, back a few years ago when the Bucks played the Celtics. Chris Middleton hit that dagger three from about thirty feet to tie the game to bring it to overtime. I don't know if you guys remember that because that was one hell of a shot so it's not outside the realm of possibility to see him do that again this time in the playoff this time maybe in the finals where was that at last year i'm gonna need that consistently down the stretch i don't no offense but when i'm thinking of clutch players i'm going beyond just the tying shot the game winning shot i'm going towards when we just lost the lead and we're down by four or five points, and it's about two minutes remaining, are you going to continuously hit these shots for us? Are you going to play make for another player to get an open shot? I just don't see Chris Middleton do that. I, 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 I haven't seen enough of it. That's an amazing shot he hit. Cool. But consistently leading and being the term closer, I have not seen it yet. 
And if he was, the Bucks will be a whole different monster. And that's what they're hoping he becomes. And if he has been doing nothing but 30-second drills um, during this quarantine and proving that, and we see that within these eight games, yada, yada, playoffs, all right then, cool. I would think it would be a better chance for the Bucks. Just to just to wrap this uh, this topic up, I feel that maybe it might happen, but at the same time, you know, I'm hoping that we get a better product because the last few years, at least in terms of playoffs, they haven't been really the best. At least the first round hasn't really been the best. So hopefully, you know, with the NBA coming back soon, everything's going to be a little bit more equal, I guess, because everyone's had this this unwanted break from playing basketball. So hopefully everything's a little bit more fair. But with that being said, I just want to get to some quick topics here, if you don't mind. So there have been a few tentative dates thrown around for the NBA, according to Sham Sharania of The Athletic. According to Shams, right, August 16th and 17th is supposed to be the play-in tournament for the 8th seed or whichever seed. And then August 18th is the first round. September 1st is the second round. September 15th is the conference finals. And September 30th would be the first game of the NBA finals. So I just want to get some quick takes on that. Are you guys looking forward to that? What do you guys think about next season? If that is a thing that's that you guys are thinking about, or are you guys just thinking about this season? They're going to go into the months of September, but finals doesn't really begin September 30th. I mean, I'm glad basketball is back, but they got to remember. They're gonna be competing against the giant, like the ginormous beast that is known as the National Football League. So, and plus, this season's gonna end late, later than most. And like, the question is, when are you gonna start next season? Then that's the big question. Or, or is this gonna be pushed to January, February? And this, and the next season, well, I think it's obvious now. It's gonna be a shortened season. So, like, looking forward to the to to basketball, but like. There, I mean, those are the other questions I'm asking as well. This is the best we're gonna get. I know it sucks. It's not what we're accustomed to, but we're we ain't we're not gonna be able to get everything that we want, anyways. Um, it's just we got to think of it as like a lockout season. I mean, it happened what nine nine years ago, ten years ago, around that time. Mm-hmm. We had a lockout season. Yeah. So just think of it like that. And this happens. There was one that happened in the late nineties, one that happened in 2012. Now this is technically quote unquote, our lockout season. Now we're actually getting a good prize out of this because we're having a lockout season, but we're still finishing this season instead of having two lockout seasons. Right. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with it. I know it's going to suck because it's going to be off from what we're used to. We're so accustomed to basketball being at a certain time. I know for me personally, I was super excited for the uh, Olympics to see this world play. So I know that sucks. And I just hope that it isn't too weird or too much for the players as far as getting a break. So, yeah, but those same questions arise for me uh, that Daniel proposed. I I, want to make a kind of a hot take here. I think a big outcome – of these the next you know lockout season or two and i think it's going to happen i think that the league's going to make a permanent change to the schedule i think the league will now start from from when when this is over it will now start on christmas day from going forward i think this 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 has prompted schedule changes and with that i just want to turn it to the mlb for a bit because jesus christ major league baseball that joke yeah and we'll keep this very very short and simple because Nothing's really changed from last week or the week before or the week before or the week before. 
the MLBPA and the and MLB, they're just throwing on numbers to see what sticks. And honestly, it's getting kind of tiring to to just look at the the lack of movement that's going on because it's you know. inevitable. I'm sorry, Jared. It's it's just the way things are going. Cancellation is just waiting to happen. Yeah, because they just keep going back and forth, and literally the same thing happens. There was a deal earlier this week where the MLB, they gave the MLBPA a deal, but it was basically the same deal that they gave before, but in different terms. And everything is just happening at this weird molasses state where players and owners are going back and forth, but there's no real progress being made. So, you know, that's... That's just it. That's that's the MLB. They're trying to figure things out, but it seems like they're not. So, Jared, I think um, before we came on here, the MLBPA like proposed an eighty-nine game season, but mm-hmm. we we know we know the owners don't they they straight up don't want that at all. It's it, it's it's turned into a PR nightmare where multi-billionaires arguing with multi-millionaires about money. It's again, it goes back to the point where there's no real progress being made. They're just throwing around numbers and they're just trying to see what sticks. But at the end of the day, there's nothing going on. No movement has been made. And it's just, it's really discouraging to see that multi-billionaires and multi-millionaires, they can't just sit in a room for 24 hours or however many hours it takes and just hammer out a deal that works for both sides to the best that it can. Because, you know, I mean, it's a lose-lose situation at this point. It, it really is. So I don't know why they just can't say, you know what, let's just sit down, let's figure this out, and we'll salvage the season. Instead, it, they're going back and forth about money during a time when everyone else is literally worried about anything else except for money. So it's it's weird, man. It's it's really weird, and it's messed up on their part. Absolutely. That's crazy, man. This is going to affect the game for years to come. And speaking of affecting the game for years to come... We're going to talk about NBA Live because, you know, the last couple weeks we've been talking about how, you know, some video games are good, some video games are great, and others, like NBA 2K, are just bad. (laughs) They're just bad for the sake of being bad. And so we, we talked about how 2K needs some competition last week, so this week we're going to talk about NBA Live. Do you guys think you can make a comeback? And if so, what does EA need to do in order to make that game stick? I mean, I'm not the biggest NBA, you know, video game expert, but like playing the last couple of versions, having a taste of those past versions, I think NBA Live could very well much make a comeback. I think it's so possible. I mean, the gameplay was like the last couple of live games were honestly fun to play. So it starts at the foundation and it seems like EA has gotten the foundation right. What do I think needs to take what they need to do? I think they just they just got to up their game you know up their quality and give much more effort and i think you could have a bigger hit on your hands yeah i feel like they have some aspects that draw in the gamer but it's just those little things as far as like the gameplay that's going to keep the gamer engaged and i think if nba live focuses on the things that 2k seems to neglect like uh, uh, the gamer's opinion on the game i think they can battle NBA Live needs to bring back the things that made NBA Live NBA Live. I think the All-Star Weekend aspect of it was amazing. And if they can bring something like that to the game, just those, it's it's not going to be one single thing. It's going to be a lot of things that they kind of connect to ultimately 
compete with 2K because what is 2K bringing for us? They're bringing all types of things for us. My career, my league, my GM, uh, my team, all of my things. But NBA Live is going to need to attack those. And I feel like the last NBA Live games have all focused on the my career type aspect of the game, and that's solely it. They need to bring a well-rounded game, like Daniel said, on that foundation and continue to build up. And they have the time to do so like there's no rush there is a rush for us as a gamer because we want a quality basketball game to play but for them personally what do they have to lose now <laughs> take your time and and develop a game and i feel like the last nba live games had aspects that were good but still yet it felt like it was rushed and i feel like they're just out on a in the back of their mind they're like oh we got to get this game out to compete like as quickly as we can but if they take their time and develop something give it a year or two Maybe if, if it's on the next-gen systems, I feel like they have a better chance of coming back. Don't try now, though. To go off of that, I mean, I think this is the best time to do it because fans are – they're tired of NBA 2K. Like, people play the game because they love basketball, not because they like the game. And I think now is the best time for you know NBA Live to just dip their toes in the water, see how warm it is before fully committing to going in the pool because it's only 2K in that pool, and they're kind of peeing in it. So – it's making the entire experience worse for everyone. Just I mean, completely, completely agree. I think this generation's almost done. So, like, like why release something now when you, when you haven't really been really releasing games for for years? There's, you know, the series has been hit by countless delays and everything. So, yeah, like I agree with everyone here. Like, take your time to really, really decide on what product you want to release to the to the public. If anything, if they want to dip their toe in the water, just create us a demo. Don't give us a full game. Give us, some, give us some aspects of the game that you're testing out and seeing what the audience feels about it. Get some reviews on it. But if you give us a whole game again and it's the same quality that we've been getting, it's, it's it has to be enough where I'm going to decide to buy NBA Live over 2K. It can't be enough where it's like, ah, oh, I might try it out. Oh, I might wait till it's on discount. Oh, I might get NBA Live and NBA 2K20. You have to change 2K21, whatever. You have to change... 2K gamers' mindset on NBA Live. And I feel like right now, that full game product's probably not going to happen. If anything, give us a demo. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the point of you go back to something that's familiar because you don't want to try out something that may that's new and may be good, right? Yeah. Speaking of things that are new and may be good, I know, Jarrell, you're super, super, super excited about this. The Last of Us 2 and... To be quite honest, I'm excited for it too, but I've just been thinking, right? Is it going to be the game that we think it's going to be? Because we've waited how many years? A long time for this. And, you know, the whole story with Ellie and focusing more on her, I'm afraid it won't live up to the hype. And that's kind of a worry. Jared, personally, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think that I just, I, I don't know what it is. I have overwhelming overwhelming confidence in neil Druckmann and i mean like his ability to tell a story and this is probably this is odd i, I don't think this is the first naughty dog game he's ever worked on either so there's, oh, no, there's, there's, a hist- there's a history of him with consistency and i think i think especially with a story like this neil Druckmann would only come back if he felt there was a story to tell so that's why i mean if he felt like there wasn't a story to tell he would not have come back and I, I just, I just, I have a weird, funny feeling that this game is gonna definitely live up to the hype. Hey man, I absolutely agree. I'm a, like you said, I'm a huge fan of The Last of Us. I don't think it'll flop. Naughty Dog 
hasn't really missed, in my opinion, when it comes to series of games. A lot of gamers love the Uncharted series. Naughty Dog is one of my favorite game developers ever. And like, along with Rockstar, Rockstar and Naughty Dog, they're two developers, like, I have to play all their games. And I mean, that's why I don't think this is going to flop because Naughty Dog and, you know, Rockstar, they always come out with fantastic titles. And these games take time, just like with with Rockstar, Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2, Grand Theft Auto. These games take time and they don't disappoint when they come. I honestly think that everything that I've been seeing from the gameplay to the creativity that they're adding to the little details with the environment to the growth of Ellie and we've been experiencing her story for seven years. Now we feel like we've grown with her. There's too much involvement emotionally with these characters and with this game and there's too much great development for it not to be good. Fair enough, fair enough. I can see where where you guys are coming from and I don't know, it's just a thought because there's so many games that people have this thought of and they have this view of what they think it would be or it will be, but then when they actually have it in hand, it's not what they end up it's not what they expected at all and therefore they get disappointed. The best example is Destiny. And the Destiny series, to be quite frank, is is something that hasn't really been living up to expectations. Because I remember the original Destiny was really hyped. A lot of people loved it, at least loved the demos. But then once they actually had it in hand, they felt like it was this, this skeleton of a game. It felt like a shell of itself that they didn't really know. And because they overhyped it, it didn't live up to their expectations. Props to to Bungie for making it work and making it a respectable game after a few years. But the allure of Destiny hasn't ever been the same since since that initial release. And I think that's kind of what I'm hoping doesn't happen with The Last of Us 2. And Jared, you got to remember, though, one thing a lot of times developers have in common is sometimes, oftentimes they, they rush titles out when before they're even ready. Naughty Dog and, and studios like Rockstar... And, and you know people like Kojima they what what makes them different than other developers is is that they're willing to take their time they value they value quality before the almighty dollar and i i think that's why i think the last of last of us 2 has a very lower chance has a lower much lower chance of flopping than you know let, let's say the next call of duty title i'm not saying that it's going to flop what i'm trying to get at is it won't meet ex- gamers expectations more than anything Like, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic hit, but it's not going to be what people think it will be. That's my main concern. To piggyback off of that, I understand what you're saying. In all honesty, that was my mindset with the PlayStation exclusive Days Gone. And I thought it was complete trash and got backlash for vocally saying that. But um, (laughs) anyways, I get what you're saying. If people have... If they have this ideology of what to expect, it might screw them up at the end. I know earlier within a year, there was a thing going on saying that people like leaked out the ending of The Last of Us. So that that can be something that can ultimately you up. Regardless if the ending was good or not, if you don't experience it from start to, to end, that's going to mess you up. Me personally, I didn't look into that. I suggest you two don't look into that if you haven't seen it already because that's going to mess you up. I was lucky enough to avoid the ending of the first one. So 
I, I get what you're saying. And that's just with, with any game, to be honest. I mean, just like 2K, we have a, a certain expectation when we're playing a game at the park. And in my mind, I'm doing an in and out crossover spin. And I think I'm going to get this pass off. And that player doesn't do it. So that just comes with any game. You're going to have, there's going to be some type of thing that's going on in your head that's going to tell you otherwise. I, I'm already put in my mindset that I'm not expecting something. All I'm expecting is to have fun, and I've been waiting seven years for this game to come out. And on top of that, just to piggyback off of the um, them living up to the hype, we've 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 heard that The Last of Us was coming out what four four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, one year ago, and they just keep pushing it back and back and back and back. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, as you guys continuously push this back, you are continuously improving on certain things. There's a reason why you're pushing it back. I'm speaking from my experience. I'm not I'm not expecting much. All I'm expecting is to have a great storyline and see what's the next journey for Ellie. With with all this talk about things being pushed back, the PlayStation 5 event that we talked about last week got pushed back to June 11th at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, just to just before we wrap things up here, do you guys expect anything new to come out of that or it's just them announcing, you know, PlayStation 5, here's uh here's what it looks like, here's what it sounds like make your own assumptions uh, i yeah i think it's gonna be a light reveal of some sorts I'm, I'm not sure how how provocative or heavy that review is gonna be i mean personally again it's the problem with these consoles they're not giving the previous consoles enough breathing room to you know properly breathe out it's it, it's lifetime i mean i i'm i'm guess i'm happy it's coming it's just just let the ps4 run its course i don't think we're gonna get much this is going to be, oh, PlayStation 5, yeah. Maybe they'll show us a new controller design. But other than that, we're not going to get much. <laughs> I'm not expecting much to come out from this. Just to just to remind everyone, this year E3 got canceled because of the Rona. Mm. And Can I yeah, say I, something about E3? Go for it, man. Forgive me if I sound ignorant here, but E3 hasn't honestly been a satisfying you know, conference or event in a while. And it's it's been far outshined by its other convention competitors like Comic Con, and like it is E three hasn't 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 had that spark in years. I'm not really sad that E three got canceled this year. Right, and with just to just to go off of that really quickly, last year's E three did have counter reefs, so that is a thing that is in still in people's minds. But going back to what I was trying to say earlier. The PlayStation 5 event takes a, takes place at around the same time E3 does, so maybe that's kind of going to, I don't know, satiate the taste that people may have of missing E3. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully everything goes well, because I think it's just a, a pre-recorded video. So we'll see how everything goes. With all this being said, the sun is slowly starting to set, and... That means it's time to end this week's episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. As always, make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter and at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram for all the news on the Shooting Bricks podcast. Do you guys have anything else to add before we wrap things up? Man, we fight another day. That's all I'll say. Uh, it was amazing. One more week to the last of us. Let's go. Shooting bricks. Three episodes in. All right. And with that, as always, I'm Jared Castillo. 
I am Mr. Daniel Wynn, and uh, with us as well is your boy Relly Rel, Jarrell Sells. And we will see you next week. <laughs>